Greetings, bibliophiles, to Five Author Questions, or 5AQ, presented by the Kalamazoo Public Library, the podcast that attempts to delve into the minds of writers using only five questions. I'm Sandra Farrick, Head of Youth Services. And I am Kevin King, Head of Community Engagement. Well, spring is finally sprung, as they said, here in Michigan. And uh, Sandra here is a, tra- a, a new Michigander. Um, that's what we call ourselves, Michiganders, if you didn't know. No, I keep calling everybody Michiganians. That's not right. It's Michiganders. <laughs> so um, how, what do you think of your first spring here? I thought it was still winter. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is, yeah, we, yeah, it just depends on the day. And Paula knows this because Paula uh, lived in Michigan for a while. So, uh, oh, I just kind of gave a preview of our guest. That's okay. That's okay. Well, now people will be very excited. Which Paula are we talking to? Uh, well, they will I don't know. Out. They won't know yet. <laughs> so just to remind you before we start talking to Paula is, oh, yeah, I did it again. Instagram. You can follow us on Instagram. It's at five author questions. So it's spelled out five author questions. We have an email, which is podcasts, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at K-P-L dot G-O-V. And of course, you have to like Share and subscribe to 5AQ or we will find you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm making a list. Checking it twice. (laughs) All right. So today our guest is Paula Yu, who is an author, screenwriter, and musician. Her latest YA nonfiction book, From a Whisper to a Rallying Cry, The Killing of Vincent Chin and the Trial that Galvanized the Asian American Movement, uh, comes out this spring, and it's a junior library Guild Gold Standard Selection. Also a fabulous review in Kirkus. Her other books have won an Asian Pacific American Award for Youth Literature honor, and she's won multiple IRA notables and a South Asia Book Award. As a TV writer and producer, her credits range from NBC's West Wing to CW Supergirl, and she has sold multiple TV pilots and feature scripts. She's also a former journalist, the Seattle Times, Detroit News, and People Magazine. When she's not writing, Paula is a professional freelance violinist who has played and toured with orchestras and such national recording acts as No Doubt, Il Devo, Fun, and Love. Goodness gracious. I know, right? She's (laughs) multi-talented. Released this summer from a whisper to a rallying cry, the killing of Vincent Chin and the trial that galvanized the Asian American movement is the true story of the killing of Vincent Chin. In 1982, many Detroit auto workers believed that anyone of Asian descent was responsible for U.S. citizens being out of work. Two white auto workers, Ronald Ebens and Michael Nitz, murdered Chin because of this belief. Although they pled guilty to manslaughter, they were given only three years probation and a $3,000 fine. You examines in full detail how this miscarriage of justice sparked a movement that has become even more important in the past couple of years. So welcome to 5AQ, Paula Yu. How, how are you doing? Uh, doing well. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, this is five author questions. We ask five questions. Okay. Sometimes a question spins out uh, a follow-up question. So it's okay. not, so just be prepared for that. Um, they don't count. We could do inf- yeah. infinite follow-up questions. Infinite fo- and we, that's because we say it's our podcast and we can do what we want. Right. So. The first question for you is how is writing books different from writing for TV and movies? And then how is it different from music? 
Uh, let's see. Well, first of all, I would say um, the mantra for um, writing scripts is exactly what uh, one of my journalism mentors taught me when I was starting out in journalism. It's over-report and underwrite. So with scripts, you're limited. You only have you know, 40 to 60 pages for a drama TV show or, you know, 100, 108 pages for a script. So you really, really have economy, uh, brevity, all of that is very, very important. So, you know, you don't have to go into a, a ton of description because that's the director's job and the mm-hmm. cinematographer. So a lot of what you do as a screenwriter is it's a blueprint okay. that a house that every one comes together to build the house, wardrobe, actors, uh, set crew, things like that. With books, um, I would say um, it's more of a dream. I guess what I would say is script writing for me is more puzzle. Mm-hmm. It's more like a puzzle where I'm trying to fit all the puzzles into this jigsaw puzzle, you know, where everything fits perfectly into place. You don't cram the wrong piece into the corner or whatever. With a book, it's a little bit more uh, freeform. So it's a little bit more like jazz where I can just kind of go off and improvise <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, come back. And and obviously in the revision stage of a book, that gets to be a little bit more like screenwriting where it's a little bit more structured again, because then you have to worry about word length, uh, clarity and, and uh, consistency of style and point of view. Um, so I would say the screenwriting technique comes in when I revise a book. But when I um, write a book, I'm a little bit more freeform um, and uh, improvise improvise a little bit. And with music, I do not compose or write music, but because I play with a lot of rock bands and uh, country bands and things like that, um, I've learned how to improvise. So, um, but even that is kind of structured because you still have to be in the same key. Like if you're in the key of C major, you know, I can't be playing, you know, uh, a G sharp or so, cause I'm going to sound really dissonant. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would say actually now that I'm thinking, cause I'm just talking off the cuff today. I just came up with a brilliant epiphany. Writing music is uh, a mixture of screenwriting and book writing. Because oh, wow. You're improvising yeah. within a blueprint. Nice. Huh. We heard it here first. Yeah, which is kind of like jazz in a, in a lot of ways too. So, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That works out really well. Thank so you. My follow up question is Do you ever sleep? <laughs> <laughs> Not this. Uh, unfortunately, with the Atlanta tragedy um, and also with Boulder, I haven't had much sleep because of um, uh, all the stuff that I've had to do. Uh, a lot has been on my plate, but normally I do sleep quite a bit. I need to sleep. <laughs> I hate waking up in the morning, so I try to sleep in as late as possible. I would say the way I know when everyone hears my bio, it's a little embarrassing because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, she does so much. And my joke has always been, well, I'm a you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. But I actually think I am a master of a couple of things. <laughs> so um, I would say I'm a, a above average jack of all trades. <laughs> but I, I say the, the, the trick to actually getting stuff done is not getting stuff done. Obviously, if I have a serious paid professional deadline or a paid professional, you know, music rehearsal, you, that you prioritize, you show up for that. Everything else you'll get it when you get it. You know, it's, it's, uh, if I have writer's block, I, I just, I just stop writing. I walk, it's hard, but I've learned in, as I've gotten older to just walk away. And because I know I will go to sleep and my subconscious will work on it. And I wake up in the morning and, uh, late in the morning and, uh, and that's when the answers happen. So a lot of it is just trusting your, um, just knowing to walk away. I think some of the best writing 
and work you can do as a creative person, whether it's visual or writing or whatever it is, some of the the best um, output you can do is by just walking away. And mm. and I think it's hard for a lot of people. It's the whole button chair. Gotta <laughs> I gotta type no matter what. I gotta do my vomit draft. And I I think that's good when you're first starting out. I think that when you're a novice musician, novice, right? You haven't had your first book published, or you're trying to get your foot in the door in Hollywood. Yes, button chair. You you have to write every day. You got you got to get it done. But once you get to the level that I'm at, um, or once you've sold a few books, or you you kind of have. Um, you've kind of been producing for a while, uh, it's okay to kind of take a step back and trust the process and just walk away. So you're even productive while you're sleeping. She's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I can't even sleep correctly. <laughs> just going to put that out there. Oh, no, I think I've made it worse. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, geez, she's such an overachiever. <laughs> such an overachiever. <laughs> All right, question two. Who is your favorite hero and why? Uh, I was, uh, and by the way, I'm speaking, I'm kind of improvising on all these questions. I, I didn't, I was going to try to prepare, but just oh. kind of right out of time. But I was going to say, I was thinking when I was looking at these questions earlier this morning, I thought, Hero, do I say something like uh, Lois Lane? Because, you know, I used <laughs> to work on Supergirl and, and Cara Danvers because I love women reporters, you know, it's got to hit the pavement in and pound that pavement. But I was thinking about it and I know this sounds really um, corny. But it really is my mom, mainly because uh, of the pandemic. I have not seen her in almost two years because uh, she lives very far away from me. And because of the pandemic and her age, you know, we've got it. And it was a scary time. We had to be careful. And unfortunately, uh, my dad sadly passed away uh, in 2016. So my mom, you know, has been by herself and just seen how every day when I talk to her, she's working in her garden. She's taking a walk. You know, she's hooked on the latest uh, K-drama and, uh, you know, watching everything on my dad's iPad. I, I just think to myself, I, that to me, to me being a hero is, you know, we talk about the ordinary, an ordinary person doing something extraordinary and that's heroic. And I actually think my mom, an ordinary person, just doing ordinary things in an extraordinary time is one of the most heroic uh, things I've ever seen. And uh, just, it really inspires me. So she's my favorite hero right now. <laughs> it's never a corny answer to say your mom, nope. especially if your birthday's coming up or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good to use your mom there. So, Okay. So Paula three, what fictional character have you always wanted to meet in real life and why? That was uh, an impossible question because it's one of those things where people go, oh, what book have you been reading? I can't even think. (laughs) And especially because I've been writing so much, I I have to admit my book reading has been a little bit on hold because I've just had so much to do. Mm -hmm. But you know what was really weird? The first, when I looked at it, I'm just going to give you the gut action. No, that's awesome. And it's so cheesy and it's showing my Gen X age because a certain number of us all came of age when Charlotte's Web came out. Mm -hmm. I just want to hang out with Wilbur because he just seems really cool. He's really chill. Mm -hmm. He's just hanging out, you know, he has his busy day like me. He's got lunch with uh, the leftover crispy apple peels (laughs) that he has to eat. And, uh, you know, and it's raining and, you know, it just ruined his very busy day of eating and, you know, scratching his back against the, the fence post. And I just, 
I kind of just want to chill with Wilbur right now in <laughs> the complicated world we're in. So that was my uh, gut reaction answer. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a, a really great answer. It is. I, I think I would like to hang out with Wilbur as well. <laughs> I mean, that's that talk about a, a perfectly written book too, Charlotte's Web. I mean, it's just so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan yeah. of that book. and. Yeah, I think, you know, it's amazing. You know, you know, I think everyone knows about this. The famous first line of the book. What it, Did you know what the original first line was? No, no. It was actually, it ended up being in chapter three when he has that beautiful, elegant description of the barn. Almost, it's, it's like, it's almost like a church, you know, this beautiful mm-hmm. barn. But the original line was, and I might be, I'm paraphrasing, but it literally was something like Wilbur was a small, neat, well-behaved pig. Mm-hmm. And that's just really boring. And then uh-huh. so he realized that he he got rid of that line and then it became the famous, you know, where's Pa going with that axe as yeah. Furnace her mother was setting the breakfast table. And and I just live by that first line because I'm like, there's an axe, yeah. <laughs> there's a threat of death, uh-huh. and it's morning. Like they haven't eaten breakfast and there's an axe. I mean, that just is uh, <laughs> and, and the fact that he went from and it took him eight, I think, revisions before he got that. Mm-hmm. That's I always think about that when I sit down to write. <laughs> wow. Huh. All right. Question four. Give us a few songs on the soundtrack of your life and then why these songs? Again, a hard one because I just listen to everything as a classical musician. I listen to everything from classical music to rock and jazz and hip hop and all that stuff. I will say because it's been a difficult year with the pandemic, I've been mostly listening to 80s and 90s music and kind of and 70s music, kind of going back to my Gen X childhood and high school years, because I think that it basically releases that nostalgic serotonin in my brain and kind of comforts me. And it was a time before our world uh, unfortunately became a very, very chaotic place. I mean, our world was always chaotic. Mm-hmm. I mean, things like racism and hatred, that 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 has always existed. But I think uh, when you get to be my age as a Gen Xer, I'm getting a little exhausted. And <laughs> so I need a little bit of a, an escape. And since I have that privilege to have a little bit of escape with my music, I'll just listen to, I have an 80s playlist mm-hmm. and things like that. So I've been listening to that uh, because I was working on a, a pilot about K-pop for Peacock, uh, the streamer. It was a script project that I sold. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of K-pop and I also started going into, um, I of course try to keep up with the latest K-pop, but uh, on my soundtrack, uh, one song that I've been really listening to, and it goes back to my mom, one of her favorite singers is Kim Kwon Suk. And he has a song called Stand Up, and he is known as the Korean Bob Dylan. And okay. my mom loves his music, and I grew up listening to that, um, plus a lot of other old-fashioned Korean trot music. And um, I just wanted to read some of the lyrics. Um, it's in English. I don't speak Korean, but the English translation is, um, I'm standing in the center of a black ocean. Where should I go? Stand up. I'll try one more time. And it's a really beautiful mm-hmm. song. It sounds like a Bob Dylan song. And I've been listening to that a lot on repeat. And I would say that is the main song on my mm-hmm. soundtrack right now. And I think especially because of Atlanta, uh, I've been playing this continuously. I'm totally going to look that song up now as, right? a, as a big Dylan fan. That's <laughs> going to go right to that. Um, I have a follow-up question. Okay, oh, that'd be great. I have a follow-up okay. question though, because I'm dying to know. What? So we go back in time and we see the high school Apollo U. What clique would she be hanging out with? Um, kind of no. Uh, 
two, two answers. No click at my high school because mm-hmm. I didn't really have, I had a small group of friends that mm-hmm. were uh, very nice. So I guess, uh, you know, that show I'm dating myself square pegs. Oh yeah. <laughs> 1980 and believe it or not it starred a future star yes. of sex in the city it was yes, sarah jessica, jessica parker, parker. Yep. two girls that were basically square pegs they didn't fit in at their high school mm-hmm. and they ended up forming an odd coalition of friends with yeah. a punk rocker new waver guy and yeah. uh <laughs> and uh um uh his very strange friend <laughs> so I, I that was kind of my that was freaks and geeks i guess that mm-hmm. would be it and also the orchestra kids my other click was my or my youth orchestra on saturdays mm-hmm. uh, i was best friends with all my uh musician friends in uh, the greater hartford youth orchestra <laughs> and uh, and actually i was popular there so i think i was a queen because oh. i was concert master there so i was popular in youth <laughs> orchestra and not at my high school so saturdays were like queen holiday <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> nice <laughs> All right. Final question five, the rise in violence against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders since the death of Vincent Chin has been tragically and largely overlooked. Who would you want to read from a whisper to a rallying cry to understand the current situation? Um, everyone. <laughs> and by everyone, I mean, not just Asian Americans, but people of all backgrounds because his story is universal and we should know about it. But to get a little bit more specific, I would say teachers, librarians, and high school students, because one of the problems with what happened in Atlanta and what's been happening with the spike in anti-Asian racism since uh, the COVID pan- COVID-19 pandemic is it's really exposed an ugly truth. Asian American history is largely ignored, not taught, and no one knows about not only our history, but our contributions to this country, the positive things we have, uh, basically, I guess what I call Asian American pain and Asian American joy and Asian American solidarity with other uh, diverse groups. No one knows about any of this. And I'm not the only one who in my 20s would go to the Asian history section of Barnes and Noble, desperately looking for anything uh, because I didn't know, I wasn't taught about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Nobody taught, I, I, I think the Japanese uh uh, relocation centers, internment camps, or they're also, I think the other phrase is concentration camps that they're now using to describe uh, uh, where the Japanese were forcibly imprisoned during World War II. I think that was two sentences in uh, an 11th grade history class. And I remember thinking, what? And then we moved on. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's talk about FDR and the New Deal. I'm like, well, did you know what FDR also did? Hey, um, wait, take a step back. So um, that's Ultimately, I think that the younger you learn about this stuff, both the pain and the joy of um, being diverse in this country, I think it helps humanize us and can hopefully prevent history from constantly repeating itself. And so um, ultimately, I really would like young people, young people of all uh, grades and uh, backgrounds to read this because I think it's important. It's an important lesson that they have to learn. And Quick follow-up, but first a comment. The book is amazing. Um, oh my gosh. I, yeah, it, it teared up and I, I lived, I mean, I can remember as a, as a young teenager that time in Detroit, cause I lived uh, on the outside of Detroit, on the outskirts of Detroit. And so remembering the stories as a young person, I remembered the crime, but reading now the background story is just wow. And, and just, 
the pain of feeling like, why does history keep repeating itself is just amazing. And then one of the solidarity, when you said the pain, joy, and solidarity, that was one of the parts I think I first cried in the scene in which um, the community was coming together to see what they were going to do. And you said, and, and you described it as people from all different types of Asian communities in the room together. And uh, the older um, people standing up and saying, we didn't do anything then we're going to do something now. And that was just super powerful. And I thank you. And how the African-American community came out with um, Jesse Jackson. And I just was like, I didn't realize that. I didn't remember that. So thank you. Oh yeah. No. And, and we have Helen Zia to thank because a lot of that came from interviews with her and from mm-hmm. one of the chapters she wrote in her memoir, Asian American dreams, where she described that scene that I was referencing. Um, and everything's footnoted. Yeah. <laughs> we have endnotes. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, she was, uh, one, she was one of the people that founded American citizens for justice and, uh, is a famous activist and writer and mm-hmm. has a, a great new book out now as well. And, um, yeah, I, I really credit her and the other original members of that group that I met who, you know, united all the different background, uh, uh, communities together. Well, your ability to tell that story as a reporter, as well as inject such high levels of raw emotion in, in, um, action was amazing. So, um, I just loved it and you need to read it's If there's five books you read this year, make sure one of them is Paula's new book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I would say going back to the first question, I would say that's where my uh, fiction book writing and my screenwriting came very much into play. I actually uh, did what a traditional screenplay outline of the book, trying oh, to figure okay. out if, if this was a movie or a limited TV series, how would I want to watch it? Where would the commercial breaks mm. be and things like that? And that also helped me keep track of the emotional through lines because when I, I think the, the, the stereotype about nonfiction is that it's dry, it's boring. It's, it's like your broccoli, you have to eat it for that vitamin B or whatever. <laughs> and what people don't realize is that nonfiction books, we're living documents. Uh, we're how you interpret a nonfiction book or even a newspaper article changes throughout the years. So an article written in 1982, you read it with a different perspective Mm. in 2021. And same thing with nonfiction books. And nonfiction books are basically stories. I mean, they're basically, here's a character at the start of a journey. What's their obstacle? How do they overcome it? If they don't overcome it, what did they learn on their journey? And and even with the more factual, just straight ahead fact-based information books for uh, teenagers and young readers, those are also important too, because there are some students and some children and teenagers who process information differently. Not everybody can process information mm-hmm. uh, against the backdrop of a narrative story. So I want to say too, that explanatory nonfiction is also very uh, important. And But even in explanatory journalism, if you're writing about the life cycle of um, how an, I'm watching this live cam right now of an eagle's nest, uh-huh. you know, and I'm learning so much about how eagle eggs are born. And even though um, it's just facts that I'm doing, mm-hmm. there's still, you can still in your own mind, put a story with those mm-hmm. facts. So I think um, I was very conscious of making sure that the emotional through line of this book was as accurate and authentic as the facts I was presenting. Do you think it will become a miniseries or a movie of some sort? You know, it actually started out as a feature script. I was actually in the middle of writing it. Uh, and I've been pitching it on and off for over a decade. And everybody, everyone I talked to was always my agents. Everybody was like, this is a great story. But, you know, who's at the time we were invisible. And it was yeah. before rich Asians, all of the fresh off the boat, all that stuff. So people were like, oh, it's a great story. But like two people are going to see it. And um 
I started working on it again a couple of years ago because I had noticed a spike in anti-Asian racism after the 2016 presidential election. I mean, even in Michigan alone, I think uh, bias crimes uh, tripled after uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing that, noticing a lot more examples on social media of anti-Asian racism. So I was like, I'm pulling out this Vincent Chin. It's time to tell this story. And more than two people will see this. (laughs) And I happened to be talking to my book agent. And she said, why are you not writing this as a book? And then that's how... Uh, the actual uh, book happened. But um, I do now, uh, my reps and I, uh, my screenwriting reps, uh, we're hopefully, you know, hopefully I can have my other dream come true where I can, you know, work on my own book and turn it into either a feature or a limited TV series. Um, there are a lot of other people out there, the race to see who gets Vincent Chin on the screen as a feature <laughs> or a TV series. Uh, we're all in this race together, but uh, I'm definitely not competitive with that. I, I think for me, the more people that tell his story, the better, because how many stories do we have of the 19, the landing on the moon? The moon landing. Yeah. How many stories do we have from World War II and so forth? So I always believe you don't have to have just one story for us. So, right. but hopefully, I'm hoping I still do well <laughs> in this race. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Oh, definitely. All right. So that was five questions. I'm now I'm very sad about this. Yes. But I know you're a big slacker. You don't really do much in yeah, your life. This is gonna be a hard question to answer. This is so hard <laughs> for you, but try really hard. What are you working on now or what's coming up next? Uh, Right now, um, I have um, a chapter book series that's sold. It hasn't been announced yet, but um, I'm working on that. Um, I wrote the first book before the pandemic and I now need to revise it. I'm waiting for my editorial letter. (laughs) So I'm I'm waiting to do that and get going on the uh, second book. And I will say it is, it's a chapter book kind of based on my life as a tattletale and (laughs) it teaches a lot lot about um, uh, beginning journalism skills because it's about Mm -hmm. a reformed tattletale who uses her powers for good by starting, you know, to, report instead of just tattle. So um, that's what I'm working on. And I have a, I um, was hired to write an adaptation uh, of, um, uh, so I can't really talk about this one because it's uh, uh, not been announced, but I I am currently doing revisions on a feature movie script based on uh, someone's memoir. And it's also Asian based. And um, I'm very excited and proud of that one as well. So I'm working on that. And I'm debating about, what hopefully my next YA nonfiction, or perhaps I might go back to novels because I missed that. You know, I'd like to do that as well. I'm trying to think. And then, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Oh, I still want to write my cat book. I have three cats. <laughs> I keep, I keep threatening Norton. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to write a bunch of cat picture books uh-huh. and my, my cat novel. Just uh, that's pretty much what I really would like to do. Well, your cats are the star of your Instagram. So I, mean, I don't <laughs> think they need a book. They, 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 I'm very own. proud of my cats. <laughs> and I'm all about the cats because I have two myself. And then I would be the crazy cat lady if people would let me. And I, it's and it's actually it's really shocking that uh, uh, somebody who's a li- children's librarian likes cats. Also, I think, I think we're breaking news right now. And <laughs> you know the Egyptians worshipped cats. So That's it's true. In it's in your blood. It's That's right. Blood. Correct. <laughs> just gonna say well i'm very sad that we've come to the end of another episode but thank you paula for being with us it's been wonderful for more about paula you everything about paula you can go to her um website which is paulau.com and you can learn all about all the stuff she does which is just a lot of stuff so thank you very much paula 
Oh, thank you so much. This was, uh, it was an honor and, and I hope everyone stays safe and healthy during this time. Yes, you too. You too. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks for listening to another episode of five author questions presented by the Kalamazoo public library. Be sure to subscribe. So you do not miss an episode. Finally, we leave you with a quote from Amy Poehler. I cannot stress enough that the answer to life's questions is often in people's faces. Try putting your iPhones down once in a while and look in people's faces. People's faces will tell you amazing things, like if they're angry or nauseous or asleep.